So I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 27. We'll be in Matthew chapter 27. We'll begin at the very end of Matthew chapter, chapter 27, read all the way through Matthew chapter 28. And so if you don't have a, a wireless device or something that can get you access to a Bible, or if you didn't bring a Bible, or maybe you don't own a Bible, would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand and hold it up there? And my friend uh, Mark will actually come and bring you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't possess one, uh, man, let, let, let that please be our gift to you. You can't steal it. We're, we're giving it to you. And in addition to that, if you even know someone who doesn't own a Bible, would you take that? And would you make that our gift to them as well? You can't steal it. We're giving them away. And so I want you to join me, if possible, in Matthew chapter 27. Don't be a stranger to the table of contents. If you can't find that, man, look at the beginning. Um, I'll, I'll give you some time to get there, and I'll maybe lay down the groundwork for what we want to do as you find your way to Matthew chapter 27. And we'll begin reading in Matthew chapter 27 in verse 57. So it's Easter. It's Easter, okay? And I want to start before we dig into God's Word by maybe saying some things of what we're not celebrating and then maybe draw our attention as we read through this what we are celebrating. Okay, so, so primarily we're not celebrating just the end of winter, right? Even though that is an amazing thing. We're excited about that, right? The, the, the turning of colors, right? Flowers are going to come out. There's green stuff. The plants will turn colors. Um, you know how this, white people will start turning colors, right? This is, this is a good time of year, but that's not our primary celebration. That isn't the main thing we're excited about, even though, thank God that's coming, right? Thank God, I don't know, we set up this morning and the sun was up. I'm pumped about that. That's a great little byproduct of this time of year, but that isn't primarily what we celebrate. We don't also, excuse me, we don't just only celebrate the Easter bunny. I don't know if the Easter bunny comes to your house or what that means, I'm going to let you ask your parents about that, um, but we get excited about that. Easter Bunny stops at our house. Uh, again, we can talk about that later, um, but, but that's, that's pretty, pretty exciting. But that's not all we're excited about. There's not just an Easter egg hunt to be had, although eggs full of candy, what's not to like, right? It's like Halloween and spring. Candy? What? Thank you. Right? It's, it's awesome. Just wait a week and it'll all go on sale. Just blew your mind. But that isn't the only thing we're excited about either. It isn't only just an, an excitement for our new spring wardrobe, although I want to tell you, I'm right, some of you look fabulous, you do, I'm excited the way uh, the Easter brings out some of our, I mean, pressed shirts, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to celebrate that with you, but that isn't, that isn't either what we're mostly excited about. We really believe, the people who follow Jesus, and I really believe that Jesus, more than 2,000 years ago, on this day walked out of an empty tomb. And he was dead. And now he's not. And because we know this, and I'm going to invite you, if you find that to be absurd, that's okay. You're, you're in good company. We're going to show you that even in the scripture, there are people who found that to be highly unlikely. But if you will begin to open your mind to the possibility of the truth that Jesus is not dead, but alive, that we are a part of a movement not based on a really smart old dead guy who's buried somewhere or some wise philosopher or sage who was enlightened, but instead we are following in the footsteps of a man who lived, died, and is now alive and in some miraculous, mysterious way is alive in you and me, bringing his kingdom, his good and merciful and gracious kingdom to bear and to visibility in our world. And we believe it and we're excited about it. And just to open your mind to the possibility of that reality has the power to change everything. 
And so if you come with questions and doubts, even as I say, Jesus is alive, blah, 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 I want to encourage you. God, I believe God wired the brain in such a way. Um, you'll find what you're looking for. If you're looking for reasons to think that's absurd, I'll give you, I'll give, there's a lot. But if you're looking for reasons to find hope in this, I think there's even more. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 27, picking up where we left off last week with Jesus going to the cross to die for some people who he knew would leave him, abandon him, and betray him so that in spite of themselves, they would see God's love through it. Beginning in verse 57. So when it was evening, Jesus has already died. He's breathed his last breath for the people who rejected him. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees, these are religious leaders, gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and then tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, so go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Verse 1 of Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, that is Saturday, toward the dawn on the first day of the week, that's today, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became just like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then... Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Instead, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and, the, and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said to them, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you, the guards, out of trouble. So they took the money and did just as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, again, they worshipped him. But, as ought to comfort you, some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples now of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is God's word. We not only want to read and to dig into God's word, but we also want God's word to read and to dig into us. We want to talk about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to believe it and the ways in which it can transform everything if we do. Jesus has power over all things. And Jesus now that He has been risen from the dead, has the power to change the way we feel, the way we think, and even the way that we live. Not only now, but forever. Because Jesus is alive, there is power to have new thinking, new feeling, new living, even forever and ever. So let me warn you, I'm going to be average today. I'm going to be average. I know it's Easter, I'm supposed to be really excited, I'm supposed to save my best sermon, my best preaching for today, let me just lower your expectation. And here's why. We are a resurrection people who live in light of Jesus living and breathing in and among us, bringing His kingdom to Sioux Falls. And we are that people all the time. And so here's the really cool thing, right? Um, In the same way that it might betray us to get really excited about Jesus being alive today, but somehow forget about it the rest of our time, so also might we be betrayed by, I don't know, being excited about the people we love only once a year on, say, I don't know, Valentine's Day. And you'll come to find that if you're only excited about the person you love on Valentine's Day, just, just free advice here, you're actually making it harder for yourself, um, and you're actually betraying your true identity the other 364 days of the year. And if you're only really pumped about loving and cherishing and taking that person out to eat, Um, one day a year, then my warning would be you're probably making that other person pretty unhappy the other 364. And so in the same sense, we don't only want to be excited about a risen Savior today, only today because it seems appropriate and there are bunnies and greeting cards that encourage us to do so. But we are a people who are marked by the resurrection of Jesus now and always. And so my prayer is that this good news of Jesus being alive is the same thing that you will hear me talk about next week. Hold me to it. And the week after that. Because Jesus being alive isn't something that just happened once, but instead it's something that has significance for everything. How we live, how we feel, how we think, what we know forever and ever. And I pray, I pray that like when I'm dead and gone, because I'm a guy and I'm going to go first before my wife, um, probably, and I live making bad decisions, I pray that what my wife says is like, you know what? He was really awesome on Valentine's Day. 
Right? That would be the most heartbreaking thing. Like, you know, the pastor stands up and he goes, Oh, Jonathan, he, he was a great husband every Valentine's Day. So also is it my prayer that people would see you and I and they would say, man, it's like they believe Jesus is alive all the time. It's almost like Jesus is living in and through them all the time. You notice those people, that Connection Church, they're they're excited about Jesus being alive on days other than Easter. They seem to be excited and they seem to be living out what Jesus would do all the time. And that's my prayer for you. Jesus, it says here, has power over all things. So we caught the last little bit from Matthew chapter 27. That after Jesus had died, some important little steps took place. And I don't want to dig into that. I want to spend most of our time in the first part of Matthew 28, but I want you to get the context. Matthew 27, did you catch it? Jesus is dead. And Pilate is the perfect picture of the power of man. And the power that human beings can have. And the hunger for power. Did you see he made two deals? Because that's what human beings do, right? This is what two-faced flattery, that's what, that's what kind of superficiality brings about. And Pilate was more afraid of what people thought about him than what God would have for him. He was more worried about what people thought than what was right and wrong. And so that's why Jesus got into this mess in the first place. Pilate had the opportunity to say, hey, this guy's done nothing wrong, so set him free. But instead, he was so afraid of what people would think of him, he let them kill Jesus. And he let them let Barabbas, a known murderer and terrorist, free so that Jesus, whom he decided was innocent, die instead. Which is a beautiful story, by the way. That's kind of what we celebrate today, that murderers and thieves and rebellious people who deserve death get free while Jesus dies in their place. I don't know that could be wrong, but that's kind of Good Friday. And so that's the context we have here. And Pilate, again, makes deals. Did you catch him make two deals there? The first deal he made with a disciple of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea comes and he says, hey, I want to take Jesus' body. I think Jesus deserves the honor of a proper burial. Let me put him in this new property, this new tomb. And so Pilate makes a deal and says, that's fine, take him. But then come the people who killed Jesus. And they said, hey, Pilate, we want you to make a deal with us too. Help us guard the tomb. So make sure you get that. There's, there's been significant things put in place. And they were put in place by people who had deep doubts about who Jesus is. So before we go any further, I just want to encourage you with this. If you find yourself in, you're in this room and you have deep doubts about all this stuff I'm telling you about Jesus, can I just let you like make, take a deep breath and put yourself at ease? You are in good company. This story of Jesus is about Jesus and his interaction with tons of people like you and me who have deep, troubling, and painful doubts about whether or not God is even real and about whether or not there is any life after this life on earth. And those people believe that so much that they made sure they had a place for his dead body to rest and they made sure there weren't any scams that were going to go on to fool people into really believing that there is life after death. Doubters, you're welcome. Join me in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, so after Saturday, here comes Sunday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. I'm going to draw a brief attention to this. This is something that um, I encourage you, if you ever have any questions, you should podcast 
um, us on our website, SiouxFallsConnection.com, what we talked about Easter Sunday last year, because there's kind of an unoriginality going on here. And we talk about some of the compelling circumstantial evidence. Something happened, and this is one of them. Uh, I just always try to draw attention to this. This is really powerful. Um, they, the religious people typically got together on Saturday to celebrate God and His mercy and goodness, and for some reason, something happened about this time in which they stopped celebrating God on Saturday, and religious folks started getting together on Sunday. I just point that out because that's kind of a big deal. Religious people do not like change. Right? Some of you, I'm not going to look at you right now, but you're sitting in the same seat you always sit in. We don't like change, right? And so, so it would be difficult for us to step out of our comfort zone, much less change our work schedule, our entire lives. Change all of our religious practices. Something happened here and they moved all of our celebrations to what we're doing now, huh, Sunday. So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, this other Mary, we could talk about this for a while. It's either Mary, possibly the mother of Jesus, Mary, uh, the, a, a mother of one of the disciples, or Mary, who is the wife, possibly, of James the Less. But either way, it's Mary. It's another Mary. Some people speculate this is Mary, that maybe Matthew, this is someone related to Matthew. So in the same way that the Apostle John doesn't always want to drop his own name, and so he calls himself the beloved disciple, but doesn't name himself. Um, Matthew also maybe doesn't want to drop his own name and his own family, but instead wants to just say, hey, there's, there was someone else, but I don't want to draw too much attention to me. This is about Jesus here, not me. So it's just the other Mary. I would say it's significant, but at least according to Matthew, it's not. Mary Magdalene, this is a reference to Mary and where the other Mary that we see, that's, that's where she's from and this Mary are together. And behold, it says, there was a great earthquake. And now we step into the realm of amazing. There was a great earthquake. and An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and he had rolled back the stone and he sat upon it. So get the picture. There's a stone that it took several people to move. And the power of God manifested himself in a messenger that is an angel. And this angel has some pretty amazing powers, enough to even just move this massive rock. This isn't unfamiliar. Most of the stuff that we do when it comes to death usually involves a team, right? You usually ask a pallbearer team, right? There are pallbearers to carry a coffin. None of us that I know have that friend who's like, you're pallbearer. He's just going to carry you, unless you want to be drugged, I, that's neither here nor there, but this is kind of common. Most of the celebrations of death that we have also involve a team of people, right? There's either tools or something that's typically like some excavating or a team of people digging a hole. There's, there's rarely just one guy doing the whole thing. If there is, he's probably in the desert and he probably shouldn't be doing it. Agreed? There's usually a team involved here. So also is the case here. And the power of God manifests itself here in the picture of death that it takes a team to put this person in the ground and it apparently just takes God to pull him out. And the thing that was holding Jesus back in the tomb becomes a stool for God's messenger, the angel. This happens all the time. Uh, in our basement, um, there is a massive recliner that we love to hang out in, and my daughters love it, but they can't move it. And when they want to put it in front of the thing that they want to put it in front of, they have to come find me. And there's this beautiful picture of power and strength, isn't there? They love it. They can't move it. It's one of the favorite seats in the house. We like to pile on together and hang out, but they can't move it. Their dad has to come and move it. So also here, there's a picture 
of God being able to do something that people cannot. And right at, at this point, we're, be, we're beginning to be invited into consider the possibility that God is able to do something that we celebrate on Easter that you and I cannot understand, fathom, and certainly not accomplish on our own. The angel rolls it back and he takes what was massive and he just makes it into a stool. And his appearance, it says, was like lightning. Already you can kind of see um, something mysterious is taking place here. Think of all the things we would, we would use to describe possibly this person. And Matthew is at a loss for words and the best thing he can come up with, it was like lightning. In that it was startling, it was bright. There was something about this angel. It says his clothing, for example, was white as snow. It's a reference that's made rarely in the New Testament. It's made apparently with reference to this angel so that we would know something weird is going on here. Matthew wants us to know there's a guy and he was at the tomb and it wasn't just a, a scam artist to put the soldiers to sleep and pull off a heist. Instead, apparently is a guy who's powerful and mighty enough to be blinding when he showed up like lightning. His clothes were pure as white snow. But then there's something cool. He stayed there. I love that. Just, just in your own mind, if you're like, hey, I think the disciples kind of stole, stole the body and made off with him. Um, I love that this guy is like not ashamed, right? He doesn't come in and sneak out Jesus' body. He sits there and waits for the soldiers and for the people who would come and see the empty tomb. He's not ashamed of it. He said he's quite proud of it. Here, I'm going to sit on top of this rock. In case you're wondering who moved the big rock, it's me. I'm going to wait here until you ask me. And that's exactly what happens. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became just like dead men. They passed out or they were in shock. But the angel, not to the dead men or the people that were like dead men, but to the, these women, he says, do not be afraid for I know, what you, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So stop right there. To open our mind to the possibility that Jesus is alive first begins in this story to change our emotions. It begins to change our subjective reaction to things. The way that we react to things is altered drastically when we open our minds to the possibility and believe that Jesus is alive. And so for the next couple of verses, I just want to compel you. I want to invite you into considering the possibility. It's a very simple, straightforward message here, and I, and I want to just expound upon it for just a minute. And if you yourself are in this room and you, you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus, you would not call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't say that you've put your faith and trust and your whole life into the center of table for Jesus to have his will and way upon, then here's what I want to invite you to do that. This would be an appropriate time for you to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, and by God's grace, he's done for us what he said he would do. And the first thing in light of that that the angel encourages these women with is that they should not be afraid. This is important. This is a phrase that as you and I dig through the Bible together, we're going to see all the time. It's a regular occurrence for God to do something that shocks people and scares them, and then God responds by either saying audibly to that person or sending a messenger, an angel to that person, and they say, hey, don't be afraid. Reason being, lightning, I don't know, people falling around dead, that, that, has, that has a tendency not only to shock these people, but even us. But the angel is telling them something about who God is. Don't be afraid. Don't have a subjective response to things that isn't informed by the fact that Jesus is not here. Jesus is alive and it changes how we feel what we know and how we live forever and ever. It changes our emotions. It changes our subjective to response to things. 
So our emotions are a weird thing in our society right now. Um, we, we are addicted to stuff that jacks up our emotions. We're also addicted to all sorts of the things we're prescribed or self-medicate um, to put those emotions in control, aren't we? Like emotion, it's a big, it drives us. When we love reality television, we love things that are provocative, that grab our attention. So much so that right now, like the news and journalism in general is, is less about like what people don't know that needs to be brought to life, but it's more about stuff that people already know that you can spin and get people fired up about. Whether that's politically um, or, or anything else. It, we, we tend to gravitate toward the news that really isn't necessarily important for our lives, but it's really important for our emotions. We love that stuff. We gravitate toward that kind of information, that stuff that, that excites us or makes us especially, some news, afraid, or we gravitate toward some kinds of news that makes us especially happy or makes us especially, um, I don't know, prideful about our own political affiliation. You can fill in the blank there, but that's the kind of stuff we like because we, we, we're addicted to our emotions being intact. And I want to just encourage you here that our response to things is meant to be in light of what Jesus has done. Because now we know there is life after death. We know that this is not it. You find yourself really depressed? I have good news. This is not it. This isn't the end. Have you failed massively? Have you endured something incredibly painful? I have really good news and I have Jesus to thank for it. This is not it. This thing that we call life is not it. And so we temper our response to this world accordingly. The Bible later tells us that things, for instance, like death, we mourn, we feel lost, but we don't mourn like people who don't know that Jesus is alive. We mourn differently. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. Because and I'll, I'll throw in a quote here, but I won't name it. If, if your best life really is now, that's only good news for the people who live in gated communities. If our best life is now, that's only good news for a select few. The rest of us, it's kind of hard. Life is difficult. And if our hope is in this life, then we are above all people to be pitied. But we don't mourn. We don't respond to things in this life like everyone else around us. We know that life is not over at death, but in the end, just the beginning. You want proof that there's life after death? Easter. That's it. And because of Easter, we get to celebrate things differently than the rest of the world. And things that upset most people don't make us as upset because we know that, remember what Jesus said? Look, I have all authority in heaven and earth. I'm in charge. I'm going to be with you forever. And I'm alive and present. We respond to things differently. And that's what the angel wanted these women to consider. Look, don't be afraid. Look, in your right mind, aside from God's grace and what God does, let's be honest, that would scare you. But instead of saying you should be afraid, this angel tells them you should not be afraid. Some apparently ought to be afraid because when Jesus comes, he's going to bring back wrath and justice. But apparently not these women. It changes the way we respond subjectively to things. 
But not us. We're different. Whether we're poor, rich, smart, not smart, educated or not, we have the beautiful gift of the resurrection that we can prize it more than anything else to the extent that we know that all that happens in this life, good or bad, is temporary, it's fleeting. And so we enjoy things in this life that God gives us, but we don't worship them and love them like they are God. We know that God gives us something else. And my encouragement to you is that the extent to which the resurrection is not significant to you is the extent to which you are considering yourself a citizen ultimately of this place and not a citizen of God's kingdom. And that's why Jesus says, please don't store up for yourselves treasure here on earth. Instead, think about the treasures that are eternal in nature and invest in those. Paul told the Colossians, we saw this a couple weeks ago, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, now seated at the right hand of God. So now set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. And that's exactly what the angel encouraged these people on Easter. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Set your mind on a God who is good and merciful. Next, what we see is the resurrection, and to consider its possibility changes what we know. It defies our logic. It defies what we know to be true. It changes, as we saw, the way we address death. If Jesus is alive, then what we know about death is different than what the rest of the world believes about death. Such that, as I mentioned earlier, we mourn differently. But it changes what we know objectively about the things of this earth. For example, we're not necessarily just excited today about Easter and lilies and grass that's green. You know why? Because in the middle of the country, weather and most plants that depend on it are just as fickle. Wait about seven or eight months. God help us, at least seven or eight months, please. Uh, maybe five, six, I don't know. They'll start turning brown again, won't they? And so the new life we see is temporary. We're waiting on the seasons to bring them. But instead, of thinking this way, we know something different objectively about life and death because Jesus is alive. What does this mean? We approach death differently. Maybe it's you this week. It's going to be someone's turn and we pass it around and maybe it's your turn. Maybe this week you're going to lose someone you love dearly. Maybe this week. Maybe it's your turn. And someone you value and love dearly, you're going to get that weird phone call on an idle Tuesday and your whole life will be turned upside down. And maybe it's you. But for those of us who know that Jesus is alive and therefore death is not the end, we get to respond to you when it's your turn differently. And we say this is not the end. Your best life is not now, but instead there is life abundant. It begins in Jesus and lasts forever and ever. And the treasures that God heaps upon those that are in Christ last forever. People can't steal those treasures. Moth can't eat them. And rust cannot tarnish them. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my turn. Maybe this week I lose someone that I love dearly. And that means it's your turn to speak like the angel and say, look, Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. And so therefore, neither shall we remain in the tomb. It changes what we know. It changes what we really believe about this earth and the ways in which we invest accordingly. Jesus had a knack for doing this. In Luke chapter 7, 
there's a funeral procession that's on its way through town, and Jesus and the disciples run into it. And Jesus walks right up to the coffin, and he touches the coffin, stops the funeral procession, and speaks, and raises the man from the dead. That'd be like, you know, we, we, we tend to operate objectively knowing that death is the end, so when there's a funeral procession, you get in a line with cars and you turn your lights on, right? And then if you're not in that procession, you pull over and you stop. Because these people are going to take someone to the cemetery and he's going to stay there. So they deserve some honor, don't they? Not Jesus. Jesus runs right to the beginning of the funeral procession, stops it, goes right to the coffin and raises the guy from the dead. He did this with Lazarus, one of his good friends. And he called out to Lazarus after he'd been in the grave for four days, Lazarus, get up. So also did he walk out of the grave. Matthew 17 puts it this way, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, please don't tell anyone about this vision that he had had until the Son of Man is what? Raised from the dead. Luke 24, he says, thus, it is written that Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day. John 2, Jesus says again, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered all that he had said about it. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. We think differently about death now that we know that Jesus is alive. So we respond differently. And so when he says, don't be afraid, Christ is not here. He is risen. He has power over death. Instead, now come and see the place where he used to, lie, used to lay and then go tell everyone. Because not only does the resurrection change what we think and what we feel, but it changes how we live. It stirs something in us that we can no longer keep a secret. And they probably would have done it anyway, but the angel made sure to encourage them. Hey, by the way, you're going to want to tell your friends this thing that you've seen. You're going to want to make sure you tell them. It says that he has been risen, or he has risen, and, and the angel throws in something in verse 6 that I don't want you to miss. He's not here, he's risen. Did you catch that phrase? Three words. As he said. This is beautiful. That means that Jesus is not alive by accident any more than he was dead by accident. Jesus wasn't duped by some plot that overthrew his plan. Instead, it was his plan all along to die for the people whom he loved. And it was his plan all along to walk out of the grave victoriously, just like he said, in accordance what he, with what he had predicted. This is good to know, because the next time something crazy happens in your life and you think, this is out of control, I hate this life. I don't, I don't know what to do because I have no control. I have encouragement for you. Jesus is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Save, redeem, comfort, and carry you and I all the way back to the Father, all the way back to the flock forever and ever. Just as he promised. So if you're like me, and maybe your life is somehow controlled by regret, maybe you wish things had gone differently, and encourage you, the resurrection tells us that we don't have to think that way anymore. Jesus is an orchestrator of things, including his victory over death. And Jesus will resurrect us just like he walked out of that tomb, just like he said he would. And this changes the way we live. It changes our sense of identity. The resurrection is a picture of what God can do with something that's dead and something that is lifeless, such that it changes how we live and gives us new life. 
And to simply believe it has the possibility and power to change everything. John 11, Jesus puts it this way. I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you'll believe in me, if you'll trust me in life and trust me with death, then though you even die, yet also shall you live. Romans 10 puts it this way. Paul tells the church, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe deeply that Jesus really has been raised from the dead by God, then you will be saved. And it's that simple. And to begin to open your mind to the possibility that God can raise Jesus from the dead is to open the mind to the possibility that God can do immeasurably more in your life and mine. I think that's what's fun about Easter. I think we take the most ridiculous and difficult thing to believe and we celebrate it at Easter. Because I think some of us, we've seen things that we can't explain. And when the Bible tells us about miracles like someone who you know, used to be uh, lame or sick in some way, and Jesus and the power of God heals them. I think we, we're kind of skeptical, but, but when you say something on its merit like this, there was a guy who was dead, and now he's not dead anymore. That stirs in us all sorts of doubt. In fact, that's exactly what the people in verse 11 through 15 did. It says they heard, and even though some of them saw, they doubted what they had seen. And Easter, we celebrate the most unbelievable, the most difficult thing to believe because we know if God has raised Jesus from the dead, if that miraculous and crazy, I, I get you, if you have reservations, you're in a good spot. I get, it's crazy to believe it. But if that's possible, then what else is possible? If God can resurrect Jesus from the dead, then I don't know, is there hope for your marriage? If God can resurrect Jesus from the death, from, from death, then, then isn't there hope for your messed up family and mine to experience peace and reconciliation? Right? Because if, if Jesus is alive, then doesn't that change what you do this week? If Jesus really is alive, then that means there's hope for you and your relationship to your coworkers and your boss, right? If Jesus is not dead, then all of a sudden this other stuff that owns us, doesn't it? I mean, it owns us. It controls our emotions, it controls what we think, and controls how we live. And if Jesus is alive, then is it possible that those things have a little less control over us? We have a little more victory in those places where right now we just feel pain and defeat? And Easter presents this possibility that if Jesus is alive, then everything's different. And that's good. It's incredibly good news. Because if we believe that, all of a sudden we're united with him. I want to illustrate it finally this way, and we're going to respond in worship that this good thing that Jesus has done. We believe that on Good Friday, this last week, as we celebrated communion last Sunday together, that God has sent a sacrifice in his son Jesus to take our place, to take our debt that we owe to God and to pay it on our behalf, to take the penalty, the penalty that we deserve and wear it himself to the cross. And we believe on Good Friday and as we celebrate leading up to Easter that Jesus paid the debt. So we owed this great debt to the bank. And that bank owns us. If you've ever been in debt, you know that your money's not your money, right? And we owed this great debt to the bank. And on Good Friday, Jesus died and he paid all that debt to the bank. And that money was put and locked up in the vault and the bank possessed it. But on Easter Sunday, 
Jesus took over the bank, blew up the vault, and walked out with all the loot. It's not just that Jesus has paid the debt that we owe, but it is also that Jesus has now taken over the debtor, such that not only is death no longer an issue for Jesus, but death is no longer an issue for us. And I say this over and over again. That's why when we celebrate baptism, we don't celebrate drowning. You know why? Because in the same way that Christ was resurrected, so also will we be, and so also will you not drown in baptism. And in the same way that we have no fear of the pastor drowning us until now when I just said that, so also do we have no fear when we are in the grave. And in the same way that Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay on Good Friday, he took up all the riches for himself so that no one would ever be in debt again on Easter Sunday. He not only is the man of sorrows who suffered in our place, but he is also the king who kicked down the door of death and kicked down the door of hell and walked out with the keys victorious so that not only do we not have to fear the thing that comes at the end of this life, but we don't even have to fear the thing that comes tomorrow morning. Jesus is victorious. And not only has he paid the debt, but he is alive and victorious in such a way that we think, feel, and live differently. And if you would begin to open your mind to believing that and consider the possibility of its reality, I want to promise you something. It will change everything. And where there once was sorrow, there will now be joy. And where there once was brokenness, there is now life abundant. And just like the Easter message, where there once was death, there's now people dressing up flowers and hats let's pray god we thank you so much Uh, we thank you so much that the victory that you have accomplished for us is final it's complete it's satisfactory Uh, we thank you so much that um, our life is not lived only on good friday and the pain and suffering that was thrown upon jesus that we deserve but instead also our life is wrapped up in the victory of Easter. So if there's some of us in this room and we have doubts, man, count us uh, among uh, the glad majority that Matthew tells us about. If there's in this room, there's people that, I mean, this can't be real. I mean, I understand, we get that. Would would you just now, in in a way and through a power that we could never understand, would you open our minds to the possibility that you bring new life to dead places, that you bring hope to that which was once hopeless, that you bring eternal joy and triumph to where there once was just pain and emptiness. So if there's some in this room and that, man, they're just skeptics to this thing called Jesus and they're wondering what this is all about, would today be the day they begin to trust, they begin to believe that you really have power, that you really have goodness and your mercy is meant to be poured out for us daily anew, starting with the victory of Easter Sunday. Maybe for some of us, though, maybe we know this, maybe we've heard this, but yet we're still just kind of living slaves to our emotions, slaves to our fears, slaves to our thoughts, slaves to the things that we've submitted ourselves to. Would you begin to even now that loosen our hands and loosen our grip on those things that have no power to give us joy and begin to open our eyes to the possibility that you are alive and well and you are with us and present with us in such a way that we can have joy where there once was sorrow. So I pray if there is pain and there's 
hopelessness in this room, would you replace it with joy? Uh, would you replace the, the doubt and fear with hope and peace in a way that only you can do through Jesus? We know you can do this and we celebrate this every Easter. And God, by your grace, every day that we have breath in our lungs. And it's your name we ask it. Amen.